Okay, I'm going to take that back. I'm more, I wore my white robe every day with no makeup. <laughs> I'm not sure if I showered half the time. But you know what? I don't encourage that, ladies. <laughs> Put a little bit of spray on. <laughs> Dry shampoo. <laughs> I said, if God takes you, I will never go to church again. Salt and light. Where does it say light? Nobody had told me you can grieve this. You're going to be grieving sex in your marriage. You are the salt of the earth. God put a baby in your tummy. So everything was held in God's hand, that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Let's start, um, you know, kissing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try the ESV. Hi, I'm Danielle, and welcome back to Salty. If anyone is hearing my voice for the first time right now, I am just an ordinary Christian who wants to hear and share stories, stories that show something truthful, challenging, and hopefully redemptive about the Christian faith. Each season, I choose some topic that I'm interested in or have been struggling with, and I invite seven Christians to share stories that fall under that theme. This season, season four, is titled Call Me Baby, and this time around, we're hearing stories of Christians wrestling with the greatest loves of their lives. Today's guest is someone I met when I was still technically a teenager. And you know those people that make a strong impression on you, even if you only have brief interactions with them? That's how it was with Andrea. Maybe it had to do with the fact that she seemed so beautiful or confident, or maybe it was something deeper. A unique spirit of honesty, truthfulness in the way that she spoke. Whatever it was... I kept up with Andrea here and there on social media over the years, and I watched her story and the story of her family unfold with many others. Do you remember at the beginning of 500 Days of Summer when that narrator says, this is a story of boy meets girl, but you should know up front, this is not a love story. Well, I think I should be up front about today's episode of Salty as well and say, This is a story of Boy Meets Girl. It is a really good love story, but it's also one that will break your heart. So now you know. Let's get into it. Did you meet Brent at Bible College? I did. In Marietta? Yeah. Okay. So So what brought you there? So what brought me there, long story short, I, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, raised there, and I just, I don't know, I always hated it there. Love my family, yeah. love you know the people, the culture, the food, but I just always knew, I used to tell my mom when I was little, I'm like, I will not live here, I'm going to live by the beach. <laughs> And what's crazy is like, I'm going to live in California and in Hawaii. And I did. I lived in both places. And that was like when I was little, you know? Mm -hmm. So I came to Bible college. I think I was in a really bad place in high school. Just, I got involved in the wrong crowd. I always, you know, did well and, you know, had a homecoming princess, did decent grades. I wouldn't say amazing grades, but like I did, I did well, but it was more like, I think being a Christian deep down inside, I felt like... I have to get out of here. Like, I have to get away from my friends. I have to get away from, like, this place or I'm not going to succeed because 
where I'm from, it's very much, you kind of settle. You don't, a lot of people don't go to college. It, it is a more uh, poverty stricken state and city. And um, I just never wanted that. I wanted more. I wanted more. But I think the rebellion in me wanted to get away from my parents. Mm-hmm. Being a Christian, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, why can't I wear spaghetti straps? Am I going to go to, am, am I going to hell? I'm not sure. I just need to know that because when it gets to California, I'll be wearing tube tops. So, you know, like, so anyway, so I ended up coming to Bible college really to see, like, to get away from everything. So I kind of came for the wrong reasons. So I came here and I hated it. Really? I did. I hated it. I was like, how do these people not know who Snoop Doggy Dog is? All the people were homeschooled. It was just a different place that I had come up. You know, like I was Uh in a public school. I wasn't really walking with the Lord in high school. I was a Christian, went to church all the time. And so coming here, it was just like shocker. Long story short, I ended up coming back my second semester because I knew, I knew deep down in my heart, I'm like, I need the Lord. I really want him. Like this world has nothing to offer me. I really want to come back to set a grounded foundation. And then that's when I met Brent. So we met, um, well, (laughs) do you want the truth or do you want me to lie? So we met, we were kind of both little rebels and we, um, I don't know, you know how like the bad people always find each other somehow? Yes. But we both, every girl on the face of Bible college were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry that guy. So we ended up like going off campus together and just talking and talking. And then he liked me first. I kind of was like, I was so young and kind of out of the world in a way that I was like not even thinking about like marriage or anything, but I loved hanging out with him. I was so drawn to him. I had never in my entire Christian walk met anybody that loved the Lord so much behind closed doors in front of people. He like, there was just this, there was just this anointing upon him from the very beginning. And it drew me to him. And I was like, you could be cool and like love the Lord. We just connected right away. And then it just kind of, you know, like one thing turned into another and we just started dating Um, I remember rededicating my life to the Lord the second week of my second semester. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I, I like, I want Jesus. I want the Lord. I want to know. I, I, you know what I mean? I want to be grounded and founded and, um, and the same happened to him too. Mm -hmm. And, and you guys ended up getting married really young, right? We did. I was 19 years old. So he was a little older. He was four years older. Okay. Yeah. Throughout their first few years of marriage, it became clear that Brent had a serious gift and calling for teaching scripture. Andrea worked three jobs at one point so that Brent could intern at the Bible College after they graduated. And after that internship, they traveled to all sorts of places together. They lived in Hawaii for seven months, helping to run a Bible College there. They traveled to London, Israel, and eventually came back to Marietta, California, where Brent and Andrea both taught courses for Bible students. Brent would be ordained, and just like that, the two of them were looking at a future in ministry together. It took us a long time to get pregnant. 
When we went to Israel, we took it to, we, we got to travel a lot. We went to London because my husband taught at the Bible colleges. We went to Israel. We, we just, to Hawaii, we, we got to travel, which was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And one night, um, Brent had a dream. The next night, he had the exact same dream three times. So he said, babe, we got pregnant. His name is Jaden. And we're having a boy. And I'm like, we've been trying for three years. There's like no way, right? Okay, at that point, the only Jaden I'd ever heard was Britney Spears' son. I'm like, did you get that from Britney Spears? I'm like, what the heck? I don't want to name my son after Britney Spears. That's the stupidest thing ever. So when we came back, he's all, no. He said, specifically, God said we are going to have a boy and his name is Jaden. Well, we were in Israel... When we were there, we read the story about Hannah and Samuel. Mm-hmm. And Samuel heard, Samuel means heard of God. Jaden means God has heard. And um, we came back pregnant. We had Jaden, and he was literally like the love of our life. And after we had left the Bible college, we took over a small private Christian school and church here in Temecula, California. So we moved there and we, Brent began to pastor at the church over there. When we got there, there was about four families left. By the time we left, we had two services, home groups on Wednesday nights and stuff. So the Lord just like blessed so much. And we ended up getting pregnant again with Micah. We had another boy. And um, I always told Brent he was a false prophet because he said it was going to be a girl. I'm all, you just told the whole congregation you were having a girl. You're literally a false prophet. He's all, I know, I just really want a girl. And I'm like, what are you going to do when we have a boy? Poor kid. So we ended up having another son. It just was so perfect. Like, I loved my husband. We got along great. We hardly ever fought. In the beginning, we did. But we hardly ever fought. Like, I don't know. He just was my best friend, you know? And the boys had a blast. And he was an incredible, 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 incredible dad. Not one time did I ever hear my husband raise his voice. Ever. Not even at me. He would ignore me, which pissed me off. You're going to ignore me? I'm going to fight back. You know, he was my best friend and he was the love of my life. I never looked at another man, you know, and and someone, you always remember the good, but I do remember the bad. I remember like the hard times. I remember, you know, it was not perfect. You know, Brent wasn't a very romantic person. Like he never wooed me, you know, he was just like, you know, he just never did certain things that made me feel like, oh, he just thinks I'm so beautiful, you know? But what he did do was he was leading our family in the Lord. And the one thing that I appreciated about Brent was that I trusted him. I trusted him a hundred percent. I never thought he would ever leave our, he loved our family. He didn't choose golf guys on the weekends. He came home, like he came home, you know? So we had a really good marriage. I knew his passion was the word of God. I mean, literally we didn't have TV. I'm serious. That's all he did was read and read us. My family, his family, sometimes we'd call him boring. We're like, you're so boring. You don't do anything. (laughs) But like, you want to go to the mall? He's like, why would I, why? And he wasn't being judgmental. He's just like, why would I go there? Like, there's nothing, like, why? You know? And so, why like, would I go there when I can read my Bible? Yeah. 
And I'm like, so you can shop for clothes and look cute? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny because everyone, everyone's always like, I'm going to marry a pastor. And you know what? It is the most incredible, incredible calling. I can't even believe God allowed me to be his wife. Mm-hmm. But it is not glorious. It is it is hard and it sucks. <laughs> and people don't invite you over to have game nights with them because they think you're too good for them. And mm. you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, where Brent and I were super humble. We we're just like, hey, how come we didn't get invited to game night? Mm-hmm. And how come nobody ever prays for us? Or, mm. you know, stuff like that. And so it's different. So it's a hard calling because it's a very lonely Because people put calling. you in this other category. They put you on a pedestal. Like, what could we do for them? Um, you know, we're pastoring the church and stuff. It was my mom's 50th birthday. We were all going to fly to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the whole time he was there, he was just like, I just feel sick. I feel sick. And I'm like, yeah, well, you've been busy. You know, you better make take some allergy pills, drink water. When we're at my mom's, just rest, rest, rest. A couple weeks later, it got to the point where he started to get really dizzy. And I remember him looking at me in the kitchen. He was like, babe, what if I have like a brain tumor? And I'm like that doesn't happen. You know, two nights later, he called me. He's like, I've been vomiting. I'm so sick. I can't drive. I can't move. He was actually driving to see Pastor uh, Jack Hibbs in Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, because they were working on a pro-life project together. Came home and that night at four in the morning, he woke me up and he said, I'm dying. So I got the boys in the car, four in the morning, called my in-laws. I said, you need to meet us to the emergency room. Something's going on. We had a great doctor. He said, you know, I think you have an inner ear infection, but for fun, let's take a CAT scan. Sure enough, we look, there's doctors and nurses looking and the doctor walks in and he's legit scratching his head. And he looked at Brent and he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have a mass on your brain. And Brent put one arm to the sky and the other one on his head and he said, to God be the glory. That was like the first thing he said. He said, to God be the glory. He said, if this is how God chooses to use my life, and if this is what God wants to do in my life, he said, we're all going to die. We're all going to die at one point or another. He said, if we all died in the same way, the same age, it wouldn't correspond to the word of God. And he just sat there and he raised and he's like, to God be the glory. And that was it. So what they ended up doing, we got transferred, met the neurosurgeon. They said, we can't do surgery for three weeks because we have to get the swelling under control. He went on the highest dosage of steroids. And basically, we all just got into survival mode. I was nursing my baby still. I had a toddler. Everyone came together. You know, the churches and everyone was incredible. But you know what? For me, it was like, you're not going to die. We're going to get this thing out. I never even thought about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to like, it was just like, okay, go, go. We drove to Ontario every single day for six weeks for radiation. He took chemo once a month. He took intravenous um, medicine at the hospital once a week. I was driving everywhere. Took my kids with me. You know, I had some, I, I did have a lot of help with his family and my family. And you know, it's just, it was just, it was just like, 
It was unreal. Well, when he went into surgery to get the tumor out. Which is, that's supposed to be like the big move, right? Like the, this is going to be the It's the big thing. thing, but with brain cancer, it's not like breast cancer where you can get it out, chop the boobs off, right. you're good. Brain cancer, there's cells and they just malform and malform. So they took it out six weeks later, it grew back. They could take it out again, but what's going to happen is he's going to have complications and eventually he's going to die anyways because of the tumor that he had. Mm. How does cancer all of a sudden become this thing that you can like manage? And there's lots of options. You can do radiation, you can do chemo to like, when does it turn into, there's no stopping it? When it's brain, it's different. There's a brain barrier and it's very hard with brain. When you have other cancers throughout the body, it's different. The brain's so invasive, you cannot keep going back in there. So the only thing, there's no cure for brain cancer. All it is, is just basically like, let's shrink it, let's starve it, let's starve the tumor, and let's basically prolong your life. That's all they're doing. So does anyone that has brain cancer ever beat it? Not with what he had, no. It's just a question of how long your life is. Exactly. Did you realize that? No, I did he, not. You no. thought you thought he had a chance of getting healed. I was like, get the thing out and let's move on with our life. Mm. Yeah. So we got home. We just did everything that we possibly had to do, and um, we just we just did it. We did everything that we could. We did Western medicine. We did Eastern. We took people's. We did everything. It wasn't like we just sat back. Like I was like a psychopath. Like okay, call this doctor in Texas. Call call the people in Mexico. I was fighting for his life. I was fighting for his life. Like you look at your two children and you're like, how am I going to tell my kids? Like your dad might die, <laughs> and you'll never see him like ever again. You know, like there's nobody I want to share my experiences with my kids other than Brent, you know, cause nobody else cares. Nobody else cares that Jaden made his first soccer goal, but Brent would have, you know? So then I have to carry those things all by myself. So when was there, was there a single moment when a medical professional or someone looked at you and said, Brent is mm -hmm. going to die? It was the fifth day. I was by myself in the room with him and the neurosurgeon walked in and he said uh, the pathology report came back and it's stage four malignant agliosarcoma, worst of the worst. And he has 12 months to live. So much shock. I just, yeah, I fell to the ground. I fell to the ground and wept and then I ran and got my mother-in-law and father-in-law and that's their baby, you know, but they were being strong for me. And, uh, whew, those are the words you don't want to hear. He was healing and we did all that we had to do. And, um, he had like, he had a really good 14 months of life and he got to stay home. He had 14. So he had more than 12. He did. Yeah. He had 14. And the boys got to just spend time with him as much as they could. And uh, we made it as best as we could, you know. May 8th of 2012, he passed away in my arms in our bedroom. And that was what the Lord wanted, <laughs> you know.
Anytime that you hear that somebody has been given a terminal diagnosis or any kind of diagnosis, as a Christian, it's really difficult because you want to affirm that God can do anything. And there are stories of getting one extreme medical diagnosis and yeah. then all of a sudden it changes. You know, yeah. it's like, okay. You want to affirm that that thing can happen, but also, like, I guess this, at least this is my belief, that God knows when it's time for everybody to come home. Yeah. And despite the most faithful prayers, the most faithful people, um, at the end of the day, like, I'm like, well, if God's in control of anything, it's when someone is born and when they go back to be with him. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that when when a loved one has been given sort of like a terminal diagnosis, that you're trying to do two things at the same time. You want to be praying and believing that God could do a miracle, but also like you almost have to be preparing for grieving. Like you have to also be preparing for yeah. losing them. Yeah. And when you have kids, preparing your children for that, if that's even possible. If there's sort of like two sides, one side is like, I believe that God's going to heal my husband. And the other side is God is going to take my husband to heaven. I'm going to have to do this without him. Did you lean more towards one side after like that stage four diagnosis? Or did, did you kind of realize like, okay, Andrea, like you have to get ready for this. It's such a good question, especially for a lot of Christians. Mm-hmm. Because for example, my mother-in-law she was just like, nope, he's going to be healed. I actually had pastors walk into my house and say, the Lord told me you are going to be healed physically here on this earth. <sighs> me personally, of course, I, of course I wanted my husband to live. But 
I was more, I leaned more towards like, these doctors know what they're talking about. Do I believe God does miracles? Of course. I never put that past the Lord. I never was like, well, God's not going to. But I literally was like, these doctors aren't stupid. These are like top of the top of the nation. They see this all the time. But I also thought, well, but you know what? God does miracles, so I'm not going to like. And I did fight for him. And I feel good about that because I know I did everything, everything. that I po- Girl, I put shark cartilage and smoothies for him because people are like, it's good for the brain. I'm like, okay, let's do it. My poor husband had to take shots of Gobi juice and I did everything. Yeah. People told everything. People, We went to like dip him in some like whole water. I'm all, do it, whatever. Like jump in, bro. Jump in in Jesus name, the Jordan. Boop. Like, you know what I mean? I did everything because I wanted to make sure I juiced. We juiced every day, three times a day, no sugar. We changed our whole diet. We did Eastern, Western. He had intravenous vitamin C bags. My do- One of the most amazing, incredible women on the face of the planet is Dr. Bridget Briggs. She came alongside me and my husband, and she fought for us too. Mm-hmm. And we did everything. But you know what? Like, Just like someone's going to say your baby's dorn- born this day, is due this day, your baby's coming when that baby wants to come. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with death. Like, does God heal some people? Yeah. But then what's the, what happens if the answer is no? And that's been a hard thing for me to hear other people when they have a loved one and they're like, God is so good because they healed them. And I'm like, so are you saying God's not good because he, my husband died. So is God still good? Like, are Mm -hmm. you going to say that if they end up dying? And the Lord was good in my case. It's just, that's what, that, that was the will of God. Do I like the will of God? Did I want the will of God? I still don't. I told Brent, I said, if God takes you, I will never go to church again. But you know what? We'll keep going. But it was yeah. the opposite. I never felt, I just was like, you're God. You place the sun in the sky. You tell the waves when to stop. Like, who am I to get mad at you? Does it suck? Yeah, am I happy? No. I'm grieving hard. Like, are you going to be there for my boys? Are you going to provide for us? For the first four years, I had an opportunity to share all over the country with women and everywhere. I wrote a book. I'm on my second book, you know, and for the first four years, I wasn't bitter. I was sad and I was grieving, but it did get to a point. It got to the point about three years ago where I actually had a mental breakdown, like for real. I was doing well. I was like, you know, potty training and kindergarten. And I did have like my in-laws to help me with my kids and stuff like that. And then it got so bad. I had no job. I was going to lose my home. I I did. I lost my home. All... No one from my church came to visit me. No one. Not a single person except my pastor, Jim, and this cute little Asian lady named Yo. No one came to visit me. All the elders that my husband invested into, you know, and I I hope they hear this because it hurt. I had two friends, my friend Angel, Pamela, and then Pastor Jim. There was a couple. No one came to me and my boys. No one. 
I think people put Brent and and even me on a pedestal. But granted, I wasn't perfect with my money. There's a lot of people that helped me financially. There were, it was just certain people where I'm like, you guys were my best friends. You haven't even called me or, you know, stuff like that. And so I don't think they knew what to do with me. I don't think people kind of knew. I think they were afraid to call me and then they were afraid to come over. And I get it because it's like a lose-lose. I would get irritated if they call me and I'd get irritated if they walked in. But I was really hurting and I needed help. And I think that was the hard part. Like I really needed help. You know, there was times I'm like, can somebody please just take... I don't have... I'm not divorced where they can take the kids on the weekends. You're not co-parenting. I'm not co-parenting. I was with my kids 24-7, and at nighttime, I put them to bed, and all I did was cry and cry and cry night after night after night after night. How do people expect me to not lose my, my mind, like, after so long, you know, and then losing my house and just having all that, and I, I don't feel like I got the support for me from some family. They did for my kids, but not for me. And I think I needed that and wanted that. And it was like a cry for help, you know? And so it that was really hard. And I think that made me more bitter. But that's when I had my breaking point. Never drank a day in my life. Started drinking every night wine. I'm like, I need, I'm, I can't cry anymore. I'm going to have wine and I'm going to go to bed, you know, and then it turned into like having to have it because it's, it really was tough. I was missing Brent. I I hated the life. I walk into my parents' house two states away, leaving everything with suitcases and my kids. And I was like, awesome. My husband dies and this is my life. And so at that point, I kind of put God on a shelf and I'd never done that in my entire life ever. I was like, I don't hate you, God. I don't hate you. I just don't want to walk with you anymore. And I want to do whatever I want to do. If I'm going to have wine, I'm going to have wine. If I want to go out and meet new friends, I'm going to do that. Because you know what? I was with my kids 24-7. You know, and and I started dating like a non-Christian during that time, which I hadn't dated because like, you know, because I didn't care. And you know what happened? I had call after call after call, like you're in sin. You shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'm like, I don't remember you calling me four years in a row when I cried myself to sleep of loneliness night after night or when I needed a babysitter. You didn't call me then. Oh, but you want to call me now and and just, just so I know that you know I'm a sinner. And then I got bitter towards the church, not the actual church, just people and how they were just like, oh, I can't believe Andrea would do that. Like, oh, we can't. Oh, we're going to shun her. And it's like, that's so sad because right now, like, I need you more than anything in this world. Like, even if it's uncomfortable for you. And it was really cool because when I moved with my parents, um, they did that for me. My parents were like, we don't even know who you are anymore. We don't like what you're doing. And we don't understand your mindset with the Lord. But they loved me. And you know what? They loved me back to health literally that's what love is and that's what jesus did when rahab when he chose rahab and his lineage came through her everyone's like rahab she's a she's a prostitute you know and everyone's like heck no and the lord's like because that's what i'm choosing because i see her heart that's why you know and we're all sinners 
And so having to go through what I've had to go through has been hard because of the judgmental and because it's kind of like uncomfortable for them. Like, yeah, you know what? I started drinking wine. Oh, well, get over it. Hmm. You know, I had to survive before I almost like literally lost my mind and like ran away from my children and left them on the side of the road because I'm going to go crazy, <laughs> you know, like the grief and the, the, all those things, obviously I wouldn't, but, but then I got to the point where I'm like, people mean well, people mean well, they just don't know how to, and they don't want to be uncomfortable. And so going through everything I've been through, like with my husband, I'm learning. I see someone that's hurting, like I have a friend, you know, who's not walking with the Lord and everyone's like, what is she doing? Oh my gosh. You know? And I'm like, invite her over to your house for dinner. Like who cares? Mm -hmm. Like who cares? She's not going to bring like her drugs to your house. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> flipping by her pizza and her kids, like, you know, but that doesn't happen. So then what happens to my friend? She doesn't want to go around church. She doesn't want to take her kids to church. She doesn't want anything to do with God. Why? Because no one's showing the love of Jesus Christ. As a reminder, this season, I'm doing something a little differently. After experiencing my own heartbreak last summer, a spiritual mentor recommended the book Revelations of a Divine Love by Julian of Norwich. You can listen to previous episodes of this season for more backstory, but Julian was an English woman living in the 1300s who was brought to the very edge of death by an illness. As her life hung by a thread, she said she was shown a series of visions from Christ, and I'm sharing relevant snapshots of those visions all season long. It's her seventh vision that resonated perhaps most deeply with my own experience of faith, and I think Andrea captures something similar as well in her story. So Julian is in this dreamlike state by this point. She's lost her sight. She can feel her body going numb section by section. But in the middle of these visions here, she says that all of the sudden, for a moment, God brings her to a place of remarkable fulfillment. She writes, quote, I was in all peace and in rest, that there was nothing on earth that should have grieved me, end quote. And then after a while, this fulfillment is taken away. She feels this unbearable heaviness of life and says she's losing patience to live. The only things that she can think of to give her reason enough to live are faith, hope, and charity. But even those, she says, she only knows as a comfort but doesn't really feel comforted by them. She transports back and forth between these two states nearly 20 times, she says. One moment being given perfect peace and rest and the next feeling unbearable pain. One of my favorite passages from her book is said here, quote, And in the time of joy, I might have said with St. Paul, nothing shall dispart me from the charity of Christ. And in the pain, I might have said with Peter, Lord, save me, I perish, end quote. Julian is being shown, I think, both a dichotomy of the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. But also, I think she's giving us a raw look at the Christian life, where on some days, we feel like Paul, saying that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love and peace of God. In moments, it can seem so clear, our faith and God's goodness and nearness. And then another day, we can feel like Peter, sinking in the storm, looking at his God, wondering, is anyone there to save me? I'm drowning. 
I'm so relieved that the disciples showed both of these extremes in their time with Christ. I'm so relieved that Julian shared both her moments of utter pain and unspeakable peace because it helped give me confidence to share mine as well. As we watch the Christians in our own lives go from joy to sorrow, confidence to confusion, faith to doubt, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. And if we are surprised, maybe we're misunderstanding this whole Christian story. Or maybe we're trying to run from something similar in our own stories. Andrea said that when she hit her breaking point, when she didn't know if she could walk with God anymore, some Christians went straight to condemnation instead of sharing compassion or even relatability. Some Christians in her life pushed her away instead of holding her close. Julian closes this revelation saying that after all of her back and forth between suffering and peace, God was trying to teach her and all of us that, quote, he keepeth us even alike secure in woe and in weal, end quote. In other words, God was always holding Julian close in her moments of suffering and in her moments of health. I wonder if we might at least try our best to hold each other like that as well. After it's been a little more time since Brent has passed away, you have dated a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, at this point in life, sort of after having those experiences, like where are you in terms of like your hope or your longings mm-hmm. for a romantic relationship with a man? I can imagine that it would be a huge hurdle to not just want to fall back in love with your husband. Yeah. Like, how do you open your heart up to being like, oh, I'm open to falling in love with a different man yeah. than the one I had that I loved, seemed great for me, yeah. and, then he got, and then he was taken, you know? How do you feel like your heart is? Like, are you open to I that again? I had a hard time for like five years. Literally, I didn't think I could ever, ever, ever fall in love again. I was just so consumed with my past with Brent and my kids. And I remember I wasn't, that's when I started not doing well. And I got to the point where I'm like, I was 28. I can't, I, I, my boys are going to leave. I don't want to be alone the rest of my life. You know, like you want someone to walk into and say, how was your day, babe? Like, how are you? Give you a kiss on the lips, bring you flowers, flirt, sit. You know what I mean? We're human. Like I'm a woman. Like I desire those things. I'm a very pretty independent person though. Like I'm a very like... I don't have to answer to anybody. I just got, you know, like some Botox. I don't have to ask anyone. I just bought a shirt. I'm not getting in trouble. (laughs) But being single and being married, although marriage is hard, I want to be married. You do. I want to be married more than anything in this world. And for a while I couldn't. And I did start dating. Um, I did get to the point where I'm like, you know what? I just, I want to be open. And if someone asks me out on a date, I'm going to go. Um, I am dating someone right now, which is, yeah, which has just been, he's been like the first person where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Like I do love him, but it hasn't been easy. And I think the hardest part too is like, um, I think because people did put my husband on a pedestal so much, he was like the greatest thing on earth. 
People have told me over and over, you're never going to meet anyone as amazing as Brent. I don't even compare. Like, I really don't. There's things that, like, Brent wasn't perfect at. That someone else, I'm like, oh my gosh, you give me so much attention. Yeah, of course. Brent stared and ate wheat thins and dropped it on the (laughs) floor. You know what I mean? Like, pick up your wheat thins. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Each person really has like unique gifts and unique things that they can contribute to someone romantically that another person can't, you know, but it's different dating now. I'm in my thirties and I have two children. And so you, when you're first dating, it's just like this love and you figure life out together. Now it's kind of like, okay, you play child support. How's that going to (laughs) work? Or how's your credit? You know, so it's different for me. It's different dating now because you want someone to love you, but you want someone to love your children and you want someone who you know, like, you know, like that they're going to take care of you. And so it's been a challenge for me. Like, for sure, I've been super picky. I haven't dated a lot because I'm like, not in a proud way, but I'm like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And so um, it's hard dating. It is hard dating because it's just, you know, and you want to honor God. You want to live a life where you're being a good example to your children and stuff like that too. So, but recently the Lord did bring me someone and it's been super good, like just really good, but it's also very, very scary. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is so weird. Like, You know, I've been alone for seven and a half years by myself with my boys. But what happens is you just have to take a step of faith. And I've met women like, I don't need a man. And I'm like, yeah, none of us do. But don't you want one? Like, girl, I've been doing this. I'm like, I'm all, give me a man right now, yesterday. And you know what? My boys are decent. They're straight-A students. They're doing fantastic. They play sports. You know, I get home. I work from 7 to 4. I get home. I feed them, take them to soccer, take them to piano, take them to Awana, get home, give them dinner, give them showers, do their homework with them, and then I put them to bed at night. And guess what? I'm up until 3 a.m. doing schoolwork. Why? So that they can have a better life, so that I can get a better job, so that it's good. People do it. Like, we do. We suck it up, and we do it. And I'm like, I'm not going to pretend and be proud. Like, do I know I can do it without someone? I've been doing it and I will do it and I can, but I don't want to. Like, I want to experience something with someone else again. And it's not going to be the same love. It's going to be a different love, you know, like it's going to be a different love, but it can still be a deep, good love. And as time goes on and you experience things together, it's going to be good. As an admittedly romantic person married to a man I can't ever imagine losing, this love story between Andrea and her husband Brent challenges me. Because most of us are taught to pray for the love story that ends with a wedding, just before those assuring words, and they both lived happily ever after. But now that I've grown the tiniest bit, there is a part of me that knows deep down that this story is the fairy tale because it does eventually end in a wedding. All of this, all of the loss, all of the first soccer goals, last breaths, the sleepless nights, the chances to fall in love again with Christ, in Christ. It's all preparing us for the real wedding, the wedding our ceremonies and diamond rings only imitate, where we, the people of God, are united to him once and for all. To me, Andrea and Brent's love is a fairy tale love because 
It never just pointed to their chemistry, their success, their romantic connection, or how good they looked standing next to each other. And I met Brent and Andrea when Brent was still alive, so I can say that it should be illegal for two people so beautiful to get married. Their story pointed to, and still points to, sacrificial love, to long-suffering, to love's true ability to outlast even the cruelest of deaths, and to help escort us into eternity. A special thank you to Andrea for sharing her story with us. Working through this show has been one of my most precious gifts over the last few years of doing this. If you'd like to keep up with Andrea, you can follow her on Instagram at Andrea Yim. That's Y-I-M. And I'm actually going to be linking a few recordings of Brent's Bible teaching in today's show notes if you'd like to hear. The featured song you heard today was titled The Lord's Prayer by The Substant. The Substant is Daniel Pimentel's band, who is our featured artist all season long. You can hear lots more of their music by searching The Substant on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. As always, you can subscribe to Salty on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, most places you listen to podcasts. And you can visit my website at saltypodcast.com or follow Salty on Instagram at saltypodcast to keep up with the show. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening.